Well, good morning, Grumlaw. Good morning, Venture. We are so glad that all of you decided to carve out a little bit of time and spend it here with us today. Uh, we really don't take that for granted. Uh, if you're new around here, you really couldn't be catching us at a better time because today we are kicking off a brand new five-part series, as you can see here, titled Forward, where we're going to be sort of peeling the curtain back and sharing with all of you over these next five weeks where we are headed as a church. Uh, because just in case you missed it, uh, we are bringing two churches together, Grumlaw Church up in Grand Blanc, Venture Church in Heartland. Uh, we are essentially becoming one church with two locations. Uh, if that is totally news to you, maybe you're new around here, maybe you've just been kind of living under a rock, uh, I would invite you to head over to grumlaw.com slash merger and kind of catch yourself up to speed with everything that's going on in that vein. But since revealing this news about a month ago on September the 20th, uh, both my father and I, we've had our fair share of people reach out. And, and honestly, most of you have been extremely supportive and it would seem most of you have been really, really encouraged, encouraged by this merger news. However, uh, there certainly have been some of you who have expressed some concern. And honestly, that was kind of to be expected because we as, as human beings, let's be honest, we're not really big fans of change. I've never met the person that just like loves change. Left to our own devices, we almost always prefer for things to kind of stay the way that they were. In particular, if we're of the opinion that the way we've been doing things is just fine. And I think it's for that reason that, that probably the most common question that I have heard, both from people who call Grumlaw their church home and people who call Venture their church home, is this question of, of why. Like, why? Why are we doing this? Why now? I mean, don't we have like a pretty good thing going at both places? Like, like why stir the pot? Why, why mess with this? And I would almost guarantee that there are probably a whole mess of you who are watching right now who haven't personally asked me this question, but right now you're actually really, really happy that somebody else did because you too are looking for that answer. I want to direct our attention this morning to a passage of scripture that we find in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, in fact, if you have a Bible with you this morning, wherever you're joining us from, maybe it's in the other room, real quick, go over and run and grab that Bible, open that thing up. Uh, this is basically the only time actually during a sermon that I'll encourage you to pull out your phone. You can pull out the Version app. Uh, some of you, maybe you don't know that. You can literally get the Bible right on your phone. We really encourage you to download this Version app. Uh, there's no charge that's associated with it. It's completely free. Android devices, Apple devices, not flip phone devices, but you're probably used to missing out on things. But download this Version app. Uh, there's some, some incredible Bible reading plans on there. Uh, if you're wondering, like, where do I start reading this book called The Bible? Uh, I'd recommend starting with Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Those are the first four books of the New Testament. Those are the biographical accounts of the, the life of Jesus. Uh, as we bring these two churches together, as we head into, in a lot of ways, the, these uncharted waters, uh, you have my word that there's going to be like kind of this renewed emphasis on you guys actually opening up this book that we call the Bible and reading it for yourself, like reading it, digesting it yourself. I, I've said this so many times, daily encounter, that, that daily time with Jesus is the single most important habit that you could possibly develop in your life. Because it's in those quiet, still times, just alone with Jesus, when you're giving him the attention that he deserves, a relationship actually begins to form. Now, 1 Peter, this passage that we're going to be jumping into today, a little bit of context. Uh, this letter, Peter wrote this letter to the early Christian church. And it had the single focus of encouraging Jesus' followers to stay the course and exhibit faithfulness, even under the severe persecution that they were facing in the first and second centuries. Now, I'm certainly not insinuating that those of us who are watching today have undergone persecution like the early Christian church, because in fact, you have not. 
Uh, you pick up a history book and read about the, the persecution that the early Christian church faced, and there is no way that it should have even made it out of the first century. But, but many of us, here's where we can relate, many of us feel like, like we're living through a period of isolation and an uncertainty uh, unlike anything that we've ever experienced before. I'm confident that we're going to look back at the end of our lives and go, remember 2020? R remember how crazy, how bizarre of a year that was? P Peter is writing to a people who, whose their faith was, was being ridiculed, that their morality was being criticized, and, and their hope was being mocked. I guarantee if you call yourself a follower of Jesus here in the 21st century, this right here, this, you can absolutely relate to. So, so it's to this persecuted first century group of Jesus followers that Peter begins this letter. These are his words. And remember, I'm showing you this particular passage of scripture this morning because I continue to get this question of why. Why are we bringing these two churches together? Here's 1 Peter's response. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He begins just by declaring the fact that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. He was not just a man. He is God. In his great mercy, key word there, nothing that we did compelled him to send his son. Nothing that we did compelled him to look down on earth and say, you know what, I I'm going to save them from their own sin problem. No, it's because of his mercy. He chose to. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have a hope beyond this world. Again, not because of anything that we have done, but because what Jesus has done for us and into, and here's a key word for us, an inheritance. An inheritance that can never perish. An inheritance that will never spoil. That will never fade. Our days on this earth are certainly limited, but we have something that is beyond this. We have an inheritance that is waiting for us as followers of Jesus. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation. Every single one of you who are watching here today, you have that opportunity to receive salvation through Jesus. It's open for everyone that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, what he is reminding us of here, what Peter is reminding us of, is that we do not find our joy in circumstances. We find our joy in Christ. So even when things aren't going particularly well for us, we have something that we're looking forward to. We are looking towards Jesus. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Eventually, every knee will bow. Eventually, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Again, he speaks to something that every single one of us can relate to. You can't see Jesus with your eyes. He's not standing in front of us right now. But because of the testimony of other people that we find in Scripture, because of what he has done in your heart, again, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have that hope to cling to. You love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. It's like, Jesus, Peter, where is this all leading? What's the reward? What's the end result for our faith, for believing in Jesus? The salvation of your soul. Your eternity is secure with Christ. So, so, so Peter, 
Why should we stay the course? Why should we continue to pursue Jesus, even though as followers of Jesus in the first and second centuries, we are facing this massive persecution? Shay, Terry, why are we bringing these two churches together? And the answer is pretty simple, for the salvation of souls. Because every single one of us who are watching right now, best case scenario, we have maybe 100 years on this planet. Until the inevitable millions upon billions of years that come after this. What we would call eternity. And what we do with the message of Jesus during our time on earth will depend on where we spend eternity. The salvation of your very soul hangs in the balance. Do you guys understand what was communicated to us in this passage of Scripture? Because I get it. I grew up going to church. I grew up sitting in services and, and pastors and preachers and teachers, you know, they'd stand up there and they'd read passages of Scripture. And for whatever reason, there's just this tendency to just kind of zone out in those moments, to not really think about what's being communicated. I, I want us to read this one more time. But, but whatever you need to do right now to eliminate distractions, to really hone in on the words that Peter delivers for us, I, I want you to do that. Close your eyes, read them with me, whatever you need to do to let these words sink in. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do we realize how incredible that is? Do, do we realize the great love that, that God has for every single one of us, the great lengths that he has gone to to win us back? I'm not a person that, I, I don't think I dream very much. You know, when I sleep, like, I, I don't tend to dream. Or at least I don't tend to remember when I wake up. In fact, this is like a weird bugaboo about me. It's like this weird pet peeve. I don't like hearing about dreams either. Like, my wife, like, in the first six months of our marriage, she would always, like, tell me about her dream the next morning. I eventually just had to be like, don't tell me about dreams anymore. There's, like, too much real stuff that's happening, like, actually in my life. I don't want to hear about your dreams, stuff that is basically completely made up. Uh, I have even less nightmares, but if there's one nightmare that, that I most consistently have, at least in adulthood, and I'm not making this up, you can talk to my wife about this, it, it's I wake up in this cold sweat, and I'm like back into college, and I think, like in that moment, it's like 30 minutes before a class is about to start, and in that class that day, we're going to have to write an essay on a subject that I know nothing about, that I haven't prepared for, and it's going to determine like 90% of my grade. And so there I go, marching my way into that classroom, knowing that I don't know a lick about what I'm supposed to write on, that this right now, what I am about to write on these pieces of paper, this essay that I'm writing in real time, that is going to determine 90% of my grade, and I'm going to fail, and I'm going to have to take the class over again. And so through those excruciating 90 minutes that are just dragging on, I'm just putting basically mindless dribble onto the pages. And at the end of those 90 minutes, the professor says, everybody bring your paper forward. 
And right before I'm about to slap that paper on the desk, a student swoops in behind me who I had no relationship with, I've never met, I've never had a conversation with, and he takes my paper and he erases my name and he writes his and he hands me his paper, erases his name, and writes mine down. Both papers are plopped on the desk. Two days later, the test results come back. I have passed, and he has failed. That, that's not a perfect representation of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, but it begins to give us a glimpse. He lived the life that you were supposed to live and then erased his name and wrote yours on it. Y'all, this is the beauty of the gospel. We say gospel. We're, we're talking about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. This is, this is what Jesus did for you. That the God of the universe looked down into our broken world, this world that we had messed up, where we had sinned, where we had fallen short, where we had strayed away. And rather than saying, forget these people and deciding to go ahead in the other direction, he instead chose to get involved. He sent his one and his only son down to this earth. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. But at the end of his life, he, he took the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders, your sin, my sin. He took the wrath of God on himself, a wrath that was owed to us. But this is where the story gets good. Three days later, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. So that every single one of us might have the opportunity to get that right standing back with God that we messed up when we sinned. So that, so that we can experience salvation. So that we can get in on that inheritance that Peter was talking about here. And right now, if, if, if you've never put your faith in Jesus... It's almost impossible to comprehend that the Most High God would make the standard so simple, that the way that you would be declared righteous, the way that you would be called approved, it has nothing to do with what you've done, who you're married to, what your past looks like. It has nothing to do with like some weird religious things. It just comes down to faith, trust, belief. Do you believe that God sent his one and his only son down to earth for you, that you are a sinner that is in need of saving and because of what he did on the cross, but more importantly, what he did three days later when he rose from the grave, he conquered death. You now can get that right standing back. We're told by placing our trust in that, in him, we get that right standing back. So it could be literally as simple as you right now closing your eyes. I'm going to invite people to do that right now. Close your eyes wherever you're watching from. If you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never placed your trust in him, you could literally just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I messed things up but I also know that you sent your son down into this world for me. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying for me, for living the life I was supposed to live and then taking the wrath that was owed to me, dying the death that was meant for me, but then coming back from the dead, conquering the grave. I invite you into my life. From this day forward, I will live for you. And we're told that if you just prayed that, just like that, you're back. Just like that, you get that right standing back. Even if God never did anything else for us, Jesus should be plenty. Jesus should be good enough. See, our goal with these services, in fact, our goal with everything that we do and what we call church, it is not behavior modification. It's not your money. It's not driving a political agenda. It is heart transformation and that only comes from Jesus 
As we bring these two churches together, our goal is not to bring you more information. It's not to give you action steps. Our goal is that you leave here worshiping. You leave here in awe of what the living God has done for you. You walk out of here weekly in utter disbelief that the God of the universe loves you so much that he sent his one and his only son to die for you. Not something, again, that he had to do. He chose to get involved in the mess that we had all created for ourselves because he loves you that much. And as such, when you walk away from these services, you you leave more in love with him than when you came, worshiping him because you're overcome with just how much your heavenly father loves you. So I know that this is a little bit out of the ordinary right now, but we're literally just going to pause right now because some people today, their eternities right now have literally been changed forever. And for others of you who've already put your faith in Jesus, this is something certainly worth celebrating. So we're literally going to pause right now. And John, Grumlaw's music director, and Josh, Ventures' music director, they're going to get up here and we're literally just going to pause and worship together here. Worship the King of Kings. Worship the God who sent his one and his only son for us. I assure you that our goal is not as as we bring these two faith communities together. Our our goal isn't that you walk away from here going, hey, look look how good Venture is, or look how good Grumlaw is, or or look how good fill in the blank is, look how good Shay is, look how good Terry is, look look how good the music is, look how good the kids program is, look how good the first impressions team is. No, 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 you get the idea. What, What we're praying, what we're hoping, what we're trusting, what we're strategizing over, what we're begging God for is that those of you who show up here on a regular basis, you leave in awe going, look how great God is. So why are we bringing these two churches together? Well, one, it's just, (laughs) I've alluded to this, it's obedience. God has told us, he has told me to do this. But that's kind of a whole other lesson, in fact, and this is just kind of bonus material here this morning. Uh, Your biggest breakthrough, God showing off and doing something unexplainable in your life, is all hanging on you simply taking a small step of obedience. I I am 100% convinced that the reason that most Christians don't have amazing wow God stories to tell is because they're stuck in the mud playing the what if, playing the fear game. Fear if it doesn't work out and fear of not having all the answers and fear of how other people are going to react. And they never walk through the doors that God continues to open. God will do anything if you're willing to do something. Back to what I'm actually supposed to be talking about. We're bringing these churches together because we are certain. We're certain that God is going to use this merger to scoop even more people into eternity, even more people into heaven to have an even greater impact in our communities, to steal from Paul's words, to bring more people into God's inheritance so that more, more coworkers, friends, neighbors, family would receive the salvation of their souls. And as this happens, God's name, it'll become greater and greater and greater and greater. And our name, 
my name, Venture's name, Grumlaw's name, it'll become less and less and less. Now, with the time that I kind of have left here, I, I want to address something that, that Peter mentions right before he utters these beautiful words that we just read together. He, he says something here that's, that's pretty subtle, and I'm convinced that most people miss it. But, but if all of us, everyone watching right now, would, would approach our lives with this mindset, I'm convinced God would use us to impact eternities far more than we are currently seeing. This is a big, big deal, what Peter writes here. So he starts this letter, and this is what he says. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's just introducing himself. He's saying, Peter, I am a servant of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, a disciple. And he says, to those chosen, living as exiles. A couple of really, really important words here. The first one being chosen. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, you have been chosen. You belong to God. We as the local church is a collection of followers of Jesus. We have been chosen by God. We belong to God. Since we don't belong to this world, but instead belong to God, we don't take our cues. We don't take our orders from this world. Our loyalty does not lie in this world. It lies with God. We take our marching orders from him, from his word, even when the world disagrees. And since we have been chosen by God, remember, we did nothing to compel him to send his son to die for us and redeem us. It was entirely his choice. We now have the responsibility to take this eternity-transforming message, the life-changing hope found in Jesus, into our communities and around the world. The second word that I really don't want us to miss is this right here, exiles. Which only further speaks to our current relationship with the world that we live in as followers of Jesus. Now Peter, he was originally writing to a group of people who had been literally exiled from their country. But, but don't miss this. He, he uses this as a metaphor for Jesus followers everywhere. All Christians are essentially living as exiles in this world, to temporarily isolated from eternity, which we just talked about. It's that whole inheritance thing that we did nothing to deserve. It's living with an eternity focus as opposed to an earthly focus. Focusing on those millions upon billions of years that are going to come after this as opposed to the maybe hundred years here on earth. We are exiles. See, when you're living in a country that you're not from, you can be one of three things to it. Number one, you can be an immigrant. An immigrant is someone who seeks to make that new country their permanent home. They're not from there, but they want this new country to be their new home. And, and come on, if I can be so bold... I think we have an immigrant problem here in the American Christian church. Now, please, nobody isolate that quote and take it out of context because that would get me in trouble. But too many followers of Jesus, too many Christians are living as immigrants in this world. They might know up here because they've been showing up to church their whole lives, because they've been sitting in Sunday school. They might know up here that they're citizens of heaven, but they treat this world as if this is where they really want to live. And so in turn, you leverage most of your resources to make a comfortable life here. You obsess about your reputation here. You stress out about what you do and don't have. Am I ever going to get married? Am I advancing in my career? Why is life here so hard? There's, there's just so much here that I might not experience. You're living as an immigrant. Two, you can be a, a tourist. A tourist is basically the opposite of an immigrant. They, they don't want to live in the new country. They're just, they're just visiting. 
And, and as such, you don't really form any real connections to the place, but you stay huddled in your own groups. Well, while you're there in that new country, you speak your own language, you eat your own kind of food, you stay in Western hotels, you complain when you can't find a Starbucks. If there are political or social problems going on in that society, it doesn't really concern you because you have no connection to that place. This is the attitude that some Christians have toward our world. They stay separated. They never get involved. They feel no connection to the community around them or its problems. They're like, I just can't wait to get the heck off this planet. This, this is wrong too. But then there's this, this third option that we see Peter introduce here, this idea of, of an exile. An exile is someone whose home is somewhere else. But, but for an undefined amount of time, they, they have to make their home in a new place. So they invest in that community. They form relationships. They learn the culture. But, but they don't want to get too attached. And all the while, that they're looking to the day when they get to go back home. Followers of Jesus who live as exiles, they're not focused on owning a lot because their real home somewhere else. That They have that eternity focus. That they're satisfied with just enough to get by because their real treasure is somewhere else. I was in Texas just this past week and I was flying there, you know, walking through the airport. One of the things you notice in airports, right, is they have all these little shops that that'll sell you these necessities at like ridiculously high prices. You can buy a tube of toothpaste for $8. You can buy a toothbrush for $10. You can buy a bottle of water for $4. And, and the reason those shops are there, it's because when you have a layover, you can be comfortable. If you forgot something, there's a place that you can stop in, dip into, and, and get that necessity. But, but you know what you never see in those little stores? Shopping carts. Because nobody's going there to load up. You buy just enough to get by. It is a temporary stop en route to your real home. Peter, who spent a whole mess of time with Jesus during his time on earth, that's where he got all this from, he, he's imploring us to change our mentality in relation to the world around us. That this world, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, is not your true home. So don't be obsessed with your experiences here. What you do, what you don't have. Don't let it bother you that everyone else around you is different. That, that, that's what you should expect, actually, if you're living as an exile. You belong to a different kingdom with a different set of values. You follow a different authority. You, 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 know, you shouldn't just look a little bit different. You should look a lot a bit different from those around you who do not claim allegiance to Jesus. I mean, how could you not? You're living your life by an entirely different set of values. You answer to a different authority. Again, as I've already said, that the response to this merger, it's been overwhelmingly positive. I've been so encouraged by the people at Grumlaw and Venture Life, like the, the kingdom-mindedness from so many of you. And again, that being said, has it, has it been met with a 100% approval rating? Certainly not. And I get that. Change is hard. It's challenging when you don't know all the answers to your questions. You don't know exactly what, what this is all going to look like six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, ten years from now. And I welcome your questions. And I'm not saying this to be passive-aggressive. I really do understand where you're coming from and you express your displeasure over email. Or you leave your comments on Connect Cards as to how you think this is a terrible idea. I understand where you're coming from. Change is hard. But remember... And I think what I'm about to say ought to comfort you. 
I think ought to get you excited as, as your pastor. I don't take my cues from voicemails. I don't take my cues from connect cards or emails or Facebook comments. I don't take my cues from people. I take my cues, and if you call yourself a Jesus follower, you ought to as well, from a much higher power. I, like every Jesus follower listening and watching right now, I take my cues from God. As an exile here on earth, I have learned that it is not only better for me, but all of the people around me, especially those people whom I have any level of influence over, my family, my kids, my wife, certainly the church that I have the privilege of pastoring. It's better for everyone when I say yes to God's promptings. That when God very clearly opens the door and he says, get a walking boy, I don't push back against him. I don't allow the voices of men to push me off God's course because there's one voice that holds a whole lot more weight. Dream with me for a second. Can, can, can you even imagine what God will, will do through this merger, through this church, if all the people who would identify as Jesus followers started living this way? If rather than living as, as immigrants or tourists, we, we started living as exiles? If we became obsessed with what God wants for our lives rather than what man wants for our lives, maybe even what you want for your life? See, see when you live as an exile, you have an eternity focus. Little nuances in the local church, like, what kind of music was playing as you walked through the doors, how many worship songs were playing that day, whether the preacher wears a sport coat or not, not happening, the temperature of the room, the video at the top of service that was supposed to be funny but you didn't think was funny at all, all of that just kind of becomes background noise. Those aren't deal breakers. Because ultimately, all you care about is being a part of God's plan to redeem souls. This isn't a spectator sport. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about the yous around you that unless something changes, they're going to spend eternity separated from God, missing out on the inheritance that God has waiting for everyone. As I was preparing this message, this thought occurred to me, and it was, it was so powerful. It occurred to me that when you think about it, God uses dysfunctional churches full of people with competing agendas like all the time, right? I mean, think about it. God works in spite of people. All the time, every day, every moment. It's not like he needs us. For whatever reason, he chooses to use imperfect people to accomplish his perfect mission here on earth. But, but you know what separates some church communities from others? The, the, those churches that you, you hear, you read about, that the local government is like, we are so glad that that church is a part of our city. We are so glad and thankful that, that church is a part of our town. The, the, those churches that don't just last for years or even decades, but centuries. That, that if you mass, mapped out the history of a community and you removed that church, the community would look significantly different. It, it, it's those churches, it's those communities of people where God works with people. In conjunction. Together. Not in spite of, but with. Where we throw aside our differences, our preferences, our opinions. 
Because a bunch of exiles have got it into their heads that they ultimately do not take their cues from men, but God. God's going to use this merger, this, this joining of forces, if you will, in ways that we cannot even imagine. I mean, God's a show-off. I guarantee it. When he is behind something, there is no standing in his way. But if all of you who are watching, who are listening right now, if all the Jesus followers commit to throwing your preferences and your agendas to the side and say, I am simply an exile who is willing to be used in any way that God sees fit, God's working with us rather than in spite of us, get ready. Buckle up. Because none of us, we have not seen anything yet. We'll be better together. That won't be just some cute phrase that sounds nice in videos or on social media. It'll be undeniable. With God moving in front of the exiles, it will be unstoppable. He predicted as much when he said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you didn't grow up in church, the rock that Jesus is referring to is talking about the gospel. It's talking about himself. The eternity transforming message of Jesus Christ. That is what this is all about. That, that's why God has orchestrated bringing these two churches together. It's about more eternities being transformed. God using a bunch of imperfect exiles in his perfect plan of redemption. Nothing, nothing will stand against it.